0: Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tulkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshachinu, Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, I thank you for this Shabbat, for this time that you've set aside for us to uh, worship as a community, united in your presence, united in your Ruach HaKodesh, united in the blood atonement of Messiah Yeshua. Father, I pray that as we open your word today that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that it will be your word spoken, your uh, heart received, that nothing of me will be involved except that which you have ordained for this purpose. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says... Amen and amen. This week we are in Parsha which comes from Genesis 18.1 through uh, 22.24. Um, this is a really interesting Parsha uh, for several reasons. One is, as I mentioned last week, we see last week as the beginning of Abraham's life, recognizing the God of all creation as his personal God. So every week when we say, uh, uh, blessed are you, O Lord our God, uh, king of the universe, God, or, blessed are you, Lord our God, God of our fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob, we are now in the point in year in our Parsha cycle where we are able to witness Him becoming the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and in particular last week we saw Him become the God of Abraham, and in a couple of weeks we'll see Him become the God of of Jacob, but we really don't see in the same fashion as either of them Him become the God of, uh, of Isaac. But in this week's Parsha is when uh, that actually happens. At the end of the Parsha in Genesis 22, we read what's called the Akedat Yitzchak or the uh, Binding of Isaac, the Akedah for short, the Binding of Isaac. And in the Binding of Isaac, most people look at this as, uh, as a matter of fact, how many have looked at this story before and thought of Isaac as a little boy, right? Like four or five years old, right? If you pay attention, how old is Sarah when Isaac's born? 90. How old is, it when she, is she when she dies? 127. Uh, tradition actually tells us that Sarah died immediately after they came back or while they were gone to uh, uh, Moriah. Uh, so somewhere in uh, Isaac was somewhere, realistically, tradition says about 120, I mean about 27 years old uh, give or take, uh, sorry 37 years old give or take. but uh, realistically, he was somewhere in his late 20s. To his mid-30s. Uh, personally, I think it'd be awesome if we get to heaven and find out he was 33 um, because it just makes sense com- with the whole narrative of Isaac's binding and what it was a foreshadowing of. It just makes sense, right? Um, but as we look at this, as we look at the binding of Isaac, the Akeda itself, what we recognize, I believe, is that this is Isaac's time to recognize and accept the God of all creation, the God of his father Abraham as his God, uh, a lot of times we look at this, and because we're thinking of Isaac as a little boy, we're thinking of you know, the mean dad who's listening to God who says, go sacrifice your only son, and he takes him up, and he ties him down, and he holds a knife to his throat. And there's this kind of you know, how in the world could Abraham do this type of a thought that goes through our head. But realistically, what's really interesting about this is if uh, Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born, right? Sarah was 90, Abraham was 100. If Abraham was 100 years old and Isaac was in his early 30s, that means Abraham was 130 or so years old, at least 130 years old. My dad is roughly, uh, almost exactly 20 years older than I am. There's about a month off from being exactly 20 years, but he's, he's roughly 20 years older than me. And I can tell you with a 20-year gap, there is no chance on God's green earth. My dad is tying me down to anything without a fight or without uh, me allowing it to happen. And in this case, there's a 100-year gap gap in age between them. Isaac is a young, vital, vibrant, strong man at this point. And There's no way that abraham's going to tie him down We see as they're journeying up to the mountain out, up to mount moriah Yet again another journey where the lord says i'm going to tell you where to go You're just going to go and so they're journeying along They bring with them a couple of servants to help them carry the load They've got the the donkey carrying the wood. Uh, they've got fire He's got a knife and isaac looks at his dad and says hey pops. I see we got the wood and we got the fire But where is the sacrifice? And Abraham's response is, and I I have no doubt in my mind at all, that Isaac was getting at something, that Isaac had an understanding of what was about to go down, and that Isaac was not just along for the ride, but he was complacent in the scenario. He was a part of what was happening. This wasn't Abraham's test. This was Isaac's test. Abraham's test had already happened. Remember last week, he says, and because he's believed, it's counted to him as righteousness. Abraham's test has already happened. This is Isaac's test not abraham and so as we move forward we realize he says, pop where's i see we got the wood we got the fire where's the the sacrifice where's the lamb and abraham looks at him and says look god will provide himself a lamb and we get to the actual mountain we realize god didn't provide a lamb he provides a ram but instead that his state his his prophetic statement of god will provide himself a lamb was speaking of what was to come with yeshua our messiah as that sacrifice lamb who would stand in his place? We see the correlation with Isaac carrying the wood upon his back. Once they uh, left the donkey and the service behind, he carries the wood upon his back just as Messiah carried the stake upon his back. He allowed his father to tie him down just as Messiah allowed himself, God in flesh, allowed himself to be tied to or hung to. Nailed to the cross to the stake itself. And we see so many other uh, aspects of imagery in the correlation between the Akedat Yitzchak and uh, Messiah's sacrifice that it's unimaginable. But what really stands out too, along with that, is Abraham's uh, absolute, uh, unimaginable sheer faith in the promises of God. All right, so. Abraham finally has got his kid that he's been waiting around for through Sarah for all this time. And now the Lord says sacrifice. And he tells his servants as they leave him at the base of the mountain, look, me and the kid will come back to you. Right. No doubt in his mind, they're both coming back down off that mountain. He recognizes what God's sending him there to do. There's no doubt in his mind that they're both coming back off that mountain. No doubt or not. whether God provided a substitutionary sacrifice, which he literally did in the person of Messiah, or God resurrects Isaac from the dead. God is going to make sure both of them come back down from that mountain. He has no clue how. He just knows undoubtedly that it's going to happen. And he's got sheer and total faith in this. Uh, and, And, I mean, it's just unimaginable to see the reality of Abraham's willingness. In spite of, look, Abraham was human, right, just like David was, just like you and I are. He's a a very righteous individual. He's, uh, uh, like the the word says about David, he's a man after God's own heart, but in both cases, they both are human, and they both sin, and they both mess things up. Not once, but twice, he tells Sarah to say, you're my sister, so they don't kill you, kill me so that they can have you, and in both cases, almost wipes out a civilization because of it. Um, Let your heads wrap around that for a moment, Uh, and twice he does this, right? Sarah says, hey, I can't get pregnant, so why don't you take my handmaiden uh, uh, and, and have a child with her and Hagar's child can hopefully be the one of promise that the Lord says will come and Abraham's like Psh, all right let's do this and uh and here comes Ishmael and all the problems that come along from there and over and over and over again we see Abraham's humanity come through but we also see his faithfulness as a ketoshim as one of the righteous ones his faithfulness to serve the Lord to have faith in the Lord's promise in spite of his humanity His faith is ever-present in what the Lord has promised. And so here in chapter 18, the very beginning of the Parsha, uh, in Genesis chapter 18, verse 1, we see some more of this narrative of uh, the promised child, the promised seed of Abraham that would come. Verse 1 says, Then Adonai appeared to him, to Abraham, at Mamre's large trees, while he was sitting in the entrance of his tent during the heat of the day. When he lifted up his eyes to see, suddenly three men were standing right by him. When he saw them, he ran from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed down to the ground. Then he said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your eyes, please do not pass by your servant. Please let a little water be brought so you can wash your feet and make yourselves comfortable under the tree. And let me bring a bit of bread so that you can refresh yourselves and you can pass on since you have passed by your servant. Then uh, they said, do just as you have said. And then we see the whole narrative of the bread being made and him killing an ox and providing a feast fit for an army, not just a morsel of bread and some water, but a whole lot more. And uh, verse nine, we pick up. It says, then they said to him, where is your wife, Sarah? There in the tent, he says, Abraham says. Then verse 10, uh, he, speaking of Adonai, says, I will most surely return to you in about a year's time. Surprisingly, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. Sarah had stopped having the way of women. It's an interesting way of wording it, but aside from the point. Verse 12, so Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I've grown decrepit, Can I have desire and my Lord so old? So she's, I'm decrepit and Abraham's just old, right? Where is this kid going to come from? And she's speaking to herself, right? She's, She's not thinking about what's going on around her. She doesn't think anybody can hear her. She's thinking there's distance, there's space. Nobody can hear. She's talking to herself in this. And verse 13, then Adonai said to Abraham, why is it that Sarah laughed saying, can I really give birth when I am so old? Is anything too difficult for Adonai? At the appointed time, I will return to you in about a year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. But he said, No, for you did laugh. The Lord spoke a promise to Sarah and to Abraham. The Lord spoke a promise to Abraham years before this and saying, Through you, I will uh, not only multiply your generations, but I will bless the entire world through your seed. And he makes it a point after Ishmael is born to say, not the child through Hagar, but one through Sarah. And here, yet again, is a reminder of God's promise, of God's uh, covenant, of God's uh, 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 prophecy spoken over Abraham and Sarah's life. And he says, in about a year's time, I will come back here to you, and Sarah will have had a child. And Sarah, sitting back, laughs. How could they? there's no possible way? God clearly doesn't know what he's talking about. This is ridiculous. There's no way. I'm decrepit. I'm old. Abraham's even older. There's no way this could happen. And the Lord hears. Uh, How many of us in in the room, in all honesty, how many of us listening to this message can, in all honesty, kind of picture ourselves in this scenario? I'm pretty certain that most of us at this moment can think about this exact scenario in our lives But with different circumstances, it may not have been a kid, Uh, God never promised me I was going to give birth to a kid, Um, so that one doesn't really work for me. But there's a lot of promises in my life that the Lord has spoken, a lot of prophecy that has been spoken over me, that has been spoken over our congregation, and undoubtedly over each and every one of you as well, promises that the Lord has spoken into your life, that He has breathed a desire into your life for. And the reality of that is, is far too often when we don't see it happen in an immediate sense, as Sarah here didn't see it happen right way when god made the promises sarah didn't see it happen a decade later uh the the lord then promises again uh reminds him of his promise and sarah's response is it's just not possible there's no way god you haven't done it yet it's not going to happen now and god says no no be faithful in about a year you're going to have a child before it was you will have a child no time frame now there's a time frame and sarah goes it's just not possible it's just not possible And often in our own lives, we very much like Sarah are thinking to ourselves or speaking to ourselves and we don't think anybody else can hear and we don't really think about the fact that God can hear the doubt that is creeping up, the doubt that starts to set its foot in our lives against the word of God, against the promises of God, against the desire God has for each and every one of us who are bought by the blood of the lamb. We begin to doubt whether or not God can do what he actually says he's going to do. We begin to become afraid of whether or not it's going to happen, of where things are going to be, of what's going to happen as we move forward. Our congregation uh, has been here for seven years, and we've seen tremendous growth, and we've seen increase, and we've seen spiritual growth and blessing in each and every person in our community. And there are days where we go, dude, this is stupid awesome. Like, I can't wrap my head around how much God has done. And then there are days that we sit back and go, why does it feel like we're nothing that God said is going to happen is going on? Danielle and I tried for four years to have kids. We believed wholeheartedly that the Lord had put a calling on our heart to be parents. And we tried for four years to have kids. And it was uh, one issue after another after another that it wasn't happening. The doctors told Danielle that she would never get pregnant on her own naturally. And she was very unlikely she would ever get pregnant uh, through medical help. Through, through medical assistance, she went to, the, to one of the world's foremost uh, fertility specialists and dealing with the particular condition that she's lived with. And this doctor said, It's just not going to happen, it's not possible. And we went, well, great, that was our last hope. Uh, you know, we, the Lord put this desire, this, this yearning on our heart for children to raise children, and, and here it is falling at our feet, and everything's collapsing around us, and, and it broke us in a, in a lot of ways. And I remember having conversations with a buddy of mine as we were driving to synagogue, right? We're on our way to synagogue, That I'm a part of the, the, the rabbinic team at, uh, and we're heading there, and I'm on the phone with my buddy, and we've got friends of ours from our school that are riding along with us, and I'm talking to him saying, look, I'm really struggling right now because I, I really feel like this is something God put on our heart. This is something that God has told us is gonna happen and here it is falling down around our feet and it's very evident this is never going to happen and I'm really struggling with trusting God right now. I'm really struggling with having faith in God at all because if he's told me this and it's not happening, how can I trust in anything else? And we continue to push through and we continue to battle and look, that doesn't mean that it wasn't tough times after that, but we continue to push through no matter what. And lo and behold, just a little while later, within six months of that very conversation, we had our first child. We had Eliana in our arms. Uh, Actually, it was Eliana. Danielle was pregnant with Eliana, but she was on her way. And uh, I mean, totally natural. No help from infertility specialists. Absolutely uh, 100% miraculous. Uh, she is our miracle child, and then uh, 22 months later, out popped Natanel, who was our surprise child. You know, Eliana was the miracle child, Natanel was a surprise child, <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and that was an even greater joy to see him. But here we are now, uh, a decade later from that, over a decade now, Eliana's almost 10, over a decade later from this, this moment of not just emotional and mental, uh, I mean, all, no other way to word it, but breakdown from this, this moment where I, at least for a split moment, had completely gave up hope and faith in God's promise in our life. And here we are over a decade later with two beautiful children who are growing, who are passionate, who are loving, who are caring, who are joyous, who every day have a yearning to learn more about their faith. I get some of the craziest questions about the Bible from Eliana and Natanel. Questions that I'm going, I don't, I don't know. i I, I didn't think about that. Like <laughs> Eliana, Eliana says, uh, cu- a couple weeks ago, says something along the lines of, um, hey, dad, if if God created everything, why did God create evil if he knew it was going to ruin everything? And I had to go, all right, how do I word this to a nine-year-old? Um, uh <laughs> So, God didn't, God didn't create evil. Evil kind of came about and went through this whole diatribe. And then a few days later, she goes, Okay, I got another question, Dad. I said, What's that? She goes, uh, If God knew that Adam and Eve were going to sin and eat the fruit that he said don't eat anyways, why did he even put it in the garden? And I went, Well, crap, I don't know. Why did? That's a good. That's a, I'm perplexed over this. Now I'm pondering, why in the world did God even put it there? But then we had this whole cool conversation about God giving us choice and free will and how God desires for us to want to love Him and to follow Him and obey Him, not for us to be uh, robots about it. And as I read this narrative of, of Abraham and Sarah in this back and forth, as we see Abraham, who's just like gung-ho uh, about faith and trusting in God's promise, and Sarah's like wavering because, you know, she doesn't see it happening. She doesn't know what's supposed to happen next. She doesn't know how to really wholeheartedly align herself with the will of God. And I look at this and I can see myself in this scenario. And in some regards, I can see it playing out in our lives. And then we go to chapter 21, verse 1, and it says, Then Adonai visited Sarah just as he had said, and Adonai did for Sarah just as he had spoken. So Sarah became pregnant and gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age at the appointed time that God had told him. Abraham named his son, who was born to him, whom Sarah bore for him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised Isaac, his eight-day-old son, just as God had commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac, his son, was born to him. So Sarah said, God made made laughter for me. Everyone who has tears will laugh with me. She also said, who would have said to Abraham, Sarah has nursed children, for I have given birth to a son in his old age. Sarah laughed when the Lord said in about a year's time when we come back and you're going to have a child. She just laughed at it. God, there's no possible way. It's ridiculous. Come on. Uh, Whatever mound of sand you got your head stuck in, Lord, just pull it out because it's just not going to happen. It's impossible. And here a year later at the appointed time is a son in her arms, a son that was born of her own womb, a son that is made of both her uh, her and Abraham together. And as she's looking at this child, and I imagine just as she laughed sarcastically a year before this, at this point, she's laughing with glee, with joy, and, and probably with a little embarrassment, probably a little bit of, yeah, I guess he was serious. I probably should have listened to him. And she's laughing. She says, just as the Lord has given me something to laugh about, here is my child, whom she names will laugh or laughter. So Isaac's name is based off of the fact that she laughed at God and then laughed later on with joy because of God. And I want you to understand something as we look at this week's Parsha, is that we serve a God who... uh who speaks to us in tangible ways, whether it's through his word or through the inclination of his spirit or, or through an audible voice that comes forth or, or whatever it may be, he speaks to us in tangible ways. And when he makes a promise, when he makes a, uh, a, 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 a prophecy over our lives, if it is truly of God, it will always come true. His word does not come back void. And listen, I can tell you from experience, and I hope you don't mind, but I'm just going to kind of talk with you, all right? I can tell you from experience that doubting the promise of God gets us nowhere. Doubting the promise of God gets us nowhere. See, God's word is true. It is faithful. It reigns true and supreme no matter what. And when we're looking at a promise of God, The reality is is what is truly greater, what is truly more uh, uh, real, what is truly more adamant, the promise of God or the fear and doubt in our lives. See, the promise of God is going to come to reality. Sometimes we're outside of the will of God and that promise from God comes to our our lives at a point in time where we're not really walking with the Lord and there's consequence that comes with the fact that we're not walking with the Lord, but His word is still faithful no matter what. But the reality is, is His promise is real. It is true and He is faithful to see it through. He is faithful to bring it to fruition. Each and every one of us in this room, the Lord has spoken promise over us. Whether you recognize it or not, whether you're in agreement with it or not, whether you like it or not, The Lord has a purpose and a calling, a divine ordinance for your life. Something that He has specifically created you to do. Something He has given you talent and giftings beyond your imagination solely for the purpose of. And so the question at hand is what is more true? God's promise or your fear and doubt that God can come through? God's word never comes back void. We read from Hebrews chapter 10. Beginning with verse uh, 32, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 says, But remember the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a great struggle with suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to abuses and afflictions, and other times you became partners with those who were treated this way. For you suffered along with the prisoners and joyfully accepted the plundering of your possessions, knowing that you have for yourselves a better and lasting possession." Therefore, do not lose your boldness, which has great reward, for you need perseverance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet, in a little while, uh, in a very little while, the coming one will come and he will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by emunah by faith, and if he shrinks back my soul takes no pleasure in him. But we are not among the timid ones on the path to destruction, but among the faithful ones who are on the path to pers- preservation of the soul. So he says, do not lose your boldness, which has great reward. For you need perseverance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. You must have boldness even in the face of adversity, even in the face of doubt, even in the face of the enemy trying to fling all kinds of mess at you, to, to, to trip you and derail you from the reality of what God has in store for your life. You must have boldness to walk faithfully in believing in his promise that it will be true, that it will come forth, and that you will experience it. In Chapter 11, verse 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of realities not seen. For by it, the elders received commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen did not come from anything visible. And listen, if the word of God, the voice of God, the spoken word of the Lord can bring forth all creation, can bring forth the universe and everything around us just by speaking it, how much more so can the reality of God's promises that he has spoken into your life come into fruition? How much more so? Can God's word ring true in your life? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also get rid of every weight and entangling sin. Let us run with endurance the race set before us, focusing on Yeshua, the initiator and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross disregarding its shame and, has, and he has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you may not grow weary and your souls and lose heart. The Lord has spoken promise and prophecy over and over and over again over our community, over the synagogue, over the things that he has in store for us. And listen, uh, like I said a few moments, I'm just going to kind of talk with you, right? There's going to be a little bit of a different uh, uh, message or sermon or whatever you want to call it. I don't care. Um, uh, I'm just going to talk for a minute. Um, the, the, the reality is the Lord has spoken over our congregation, prophecy after prophecy and prophecy. And look, and it's one thing if, you know, I hear something that I think is from the Lord about us and, and uh, kind of walk in hope that it's going to come true, but I don't see confirmation here and there, right? These are things that have been confirmed over and over and over and over and over and over again. Time after time after time by not just an individual Or two individuals, but person after person after person after person after person who is a part of this congregation, people who aren't a part of this congregation, and so on and so forth. And the Lord continues to reiterate his vision for our congregation. Uh, for this synagogue over and over again and and there are times and look I shared with our our worship team this morning when we were praying before as we by the way every week don't forget from 9 to nine thirty every Saturday before service we have a time of prayer covering our service in 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 uh, intercession uh, for us to be able to push forward and what the Lord wants to do in our midst that day and so as we're talking uh, during prayer this morning I started to share you know the last couple of months uh, has been kind of the weirdest time for Danielle and I in ministry, uh, probably the weirdest time and, and Danielle had no closing to talk about this and I'll get slapped later but it's okay um, It's the weirdest time probably in our entire experience in ministry and and we've been we've been at this for the better part of two decades now, not necessarily in senior leadership of a congregation but involved in leadership of, of messianic synagogues for the better part of two decades now and This last two or three months has been some of the weirdest, uh, most trying, most stressful, uh, most burdensome, most difficult, painful two or three months that we've experienced in ministry. Um, You know, when the Lord speaks promise, adversity comes with it, not from the Lord, but from the enemy that doesn't want us to see it come to fruition, right? When the Lord speaks truth, when we draw closer to his presence, when we strive to walk in faithfulness with him, the enemy is going to crap all over our parade. And that's just the reality about it. He's going to do everything he can to destroy it. You know, the word of God says that that the enemy comes to still kill and destroy. He wants to still your hope. He wants to kill your faith. And he wants to destroy the work of God in your midst. He wants to destroy the message that God wants to bring forth from your life. He wants to snuff you out. He wants to snuff this congregation out. He wants to choke the very life of this synagogue out. And you hear me say time and time again, I welcome the enemy's attack quite often because the reality is if he's not not bothering you, it's because you're not worth his headache. And if he is bothering you, it's because you're a threat. And I want nothing more than our congregation to be a threat to the kingdom of the enemy. Because we represent the kingdom of light. We represent the kingdom of Messiah, the kingdom of Yeshua. We want to see His light overcome the darkness around us in a mighty and powerful way. And the last couple of months have have just been weird. We've seen over the last year tremendous growth as a congregation, and it's been awesome. And as is the way that our congregation has always grown, uh, and, and those that have gone through our membership class have heard me talk about this, we we grow, we get a core group. That core group grows together spiritually. Uh, as they grow deeper spiritually together, the Lord brings more in. And once they come in, the Lord then de- kind of melds them into the core group. And as a group, we grow spiritually even more. And then more come in, and, and it's this, this kind of uh, almost like a water drop in the water, right? There's these ripple effects that happen. And, uh, and if you pay attention, it almost looks like as the ripple goes out, it's bringing everything back into it again. And, uh, and this is how our congregation's always grown over the last year, so we've seen tremendous tremendous growth. Even over the last couple of months, we've seen growth, both physically, spiritually, numerically, whatever you want to call it, we've seen awesome growth. But along with that, as we have stepped further and further into the reality of the calling God has given, the vision God God has given, the purpose God has given for congregation Mayim Chaim on the eastern shore of the Mobile Bay, what we realize is is the enemy is attacking from every possible angle. And and I want you to understand, um, It's not one person, it's not two people. It's not just my household, it's not just uh, our worship team, it's not just everybody. I can't think of a single person in our congregation over the last couple of months has not had the enemy trying to stomp their throat into the ground in one way or another, whether it's physical, whether it's medical, whether it's emotional, whether it's financial, whatever it may be, I can't think of a single person in this congregation that has not had their throat drived and stomped into the ground or tried to stomp in the ground by the enemy. And Danielle and, and I are looking at it, and I, I'm telling you for the last couple of weeks especially, it's just built and built and built and built and built and built, and it's been one attack after another, and fires that we're trying to put out that most people don't know about. Uh, and, and, you know, it's all fun and games to, to carry on, and we talk about perseverance, we talk about pushing through no matter what. But, you know, there's a point where you, can, you, you do that for so long that it becomes harder and harder to push through. And that wall seems to get thicker and thicker and thicker as you continue. And as we're looking around us and, and we're seeing what the Lord is doing, we begin to, to, to recognize that the Lord's moving in a mighty and powerful way. And all these things that are happening are on the peripheral. All these things that are happening in our life and, and to your lives and to, to people connected to you that's affecting things, all of this stuff that's going on, it's because the enemy hates us. And as Yeshua says, the enemy doesn't hate us because of us. He hates us because of who is in us. He hates us because of what we, pre- what we represent. He hates us because of what we're here to do. And, you know, we've talked about how the Lord is, has spoken this idea of this rain that's about to come out, this outpouring that's going to happen, this downpour that's going to happen on the body of Messiah in these last days. And, and I believe wholeheartedly has spoken it over our community. Uh, and, and look, it's, I don't, I don't understand. All right? I don't. I don't I don't try to figure out how God works and what he's going to do. I just want to trust in him. You know what I mean? The Lord says he's going to do something. I just want to trust it. He is my Abba. He is my daddy, and I want to trust what he has to say. And there have been so many things that have occurred over the past couple of months uh, uh, that have just, in all honesty, driven Danielle and I into the ground in a lot of ways. Uh, And and it's funny, too, because... uh, uh, usually after the High Holy Days, we, like, disappear for a couple of days. Uh, you know, we, we try to go uh, out of town or, or just somewhere to, to get away, take our camper out or whatever. Um, and this is the first year that we haven't been able to do that, uh, that we just haven't gotten the opportunity to just vanish for a couple of days, right? And, and it's, it's needed sometimes to get away and to just unwind and uh and and to recoup and to 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 be rejuvenated uh and and what have you and this is the first year that we haven't been able to do that and it's interesting looking at the correlation of that and how things have gone over the past couple of months and don't get me wrong like the lord has been moving in a mighty and powerful way in our midst and it's been awesome and it's been exciting to see what's going on but at the same time we can fill the battle and so many believers are afraid to admit that there's a spiritual battle Right there is something going on. There is war happening in the spiritual realms that is beyond our imagination. Yes, is. All right, and and like we said earlier, when the you know the shooting in, in Pittsburgh at the synagogue in Pittsburgh, um, uh, I was messaged by a couple of people this morning about it, saying, "Hey, you know, just we we need to make sure we're on alert. Not that it's going to happen here, but just this is proof we need to be on alert and and, and so on and, and be vigilant." And and I said uh, I said, "Yeah, absolutely, we have got to be vigilant." But I said, "You know what? Let them bring it." I mean, I don't want to see that happen here, but let them bring it. You know why? Because our defender is mighty. And he is great, and he's powerful, and he's awesome, and he loves us. And the reality is, is if the enemy attacks, it's because you're a threat. All right? And when we read these words here in Hebrews and they remind us of what the Lord has done for our father Abraham and our father Isaac and our father Jacob and what the Lord has done through Melech David and Elijah and Elisha and, uh, and, and, and uh, through Jeremiah and Isaiah and, and so many others that when all reality was going on, like they're following the will of the Lord, they're doing what God said, but you can see that around them the world is collapsing at their feet and they're struggling. Like, could you imagine being Jeremiah told to lie on your side for however long, just kind of hanging out there and waiting for... Dude, that would be horrible. It would be miserable. I'd be like, you know, seriously, what are you doing here, God? I'd kind of probably have a little bit worse attitude than Sarah had when God said, you're going to have a kid in a year. Uh, I'd be a little farther off than that. Um, you know, the, it's there's just so much that we see happening. But the reality is we have to persevere. We have to push on. We have to push through. Because the only way we're going to see breakthrough in the spiritual is if we trust in the Lord's promise day in and day out. In spite of the pain and the anguish, in spite of what's happening around us, in spite of the enemy's attack. We have to, more so now than ever before, constantly uphold each other in prayer. You see these prayer requests rolling on the realm day in and day out. We have to hold each other up in prayer. We have to support each other, defend each other, stand in the gap for each other. We have to make sure that as a community we remain united. United in the power of the blood of the Lamb. United in the Ruach HaKodesh. United in the Spirit of God. Because look, here's the truth. The enemy's greatest tool, and you've heard me say this before, the enemy's greatest tool is division. He brought division between uh, uh, Abraham and Sarah, and that's where we get Hagar. He brought division between uh, Elijah and I mean between uh, uh, Esau and, and uh, Jacob, and that's where we get the, the Edomites. He brought division between Abraham and Lot, and that's where we get the Moabites and the Ammonites. He brought division over and over and over again throughout Israel, and this is where we get the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom and everything that ensued from there. And he brought division in the body of Messiah. and this is where we get thousands upon thousands of denominations. And theological ideas and arguments that arise. But you know who's greater than division? The Lord. He's greater than division. And He's defending you and me day in and day out in the spiritual realm. And He's fighting for us. Over and over again. The only reason why division exists in the body of Messiah is because we have allowed it. The only reason division can exist in this congregation is if we allow it. But if we're willing to come together, united in the power of the promise of the Lord, united in the power of the Spirit of the Lord, united in the power of the blood of the Lamb, we can be unstoppable. That doesn't mean we won't have attacks from the enemy. That doesn't mean there won't be down times where we're just beaten to the core. But what it does mean is we can trust that when we're beaten down, there's somebody holding us up. When we can no longer hold our arms in the air, Aaron and her are standing there holding them up. And the battle continues. And the battle continues until we are able to stand up again on our own. And then we, in turn, hold up others' arms as they're going through it. Look, don't don't get me wrong. We must be perseverant. We must trust faithfully in the power. We must trust faithfully in the reality of God's promises. We must walk faithfully in our relationship with Him. And as long as we do, we will see the reality of His promise comes true. But, but, That doesn't mean that just because we're walking faithfully, the enemy will suddenly stop attacking. As a matter of fact, he will attack harder and harder and harder. And the way we survive is when we stand firm together as one united in him. We talk about that message from Yeshua's prayer in John over and over again, that the Lord make us one as he and the Father are one. Yeshua says that the world will know who sent us, By our unity with him and with each other, are we united? Is the body of Messiah united? We're not. We're fragmented. If we're honest, we are fragmented in the body of Messiah. But my yearning, my heart's desire, my cry to the Lord day in and day out is for our congregation to continue to be united, to continue to be melded together in such a powerful way in the spirit of the Lord that we will never once laugh in anger at the promise of the Lord, as Sarah did. But instead, we will laugh in rejoicing in the fulfillment of God's promise each and every time. I believe the Lord has something tremendous in store for this congregation and for each and every one of us. I believe He has something tremendous in store for the body of Messiah in these days that we find ourselves living in, which I do believe are the end of days. We have a lot happening in the world around us. As things progress, a lot more is going to go on. And it's going to become that much easier to throw in the, 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 the towel. Look, and there's been times in the last couple of months that Danielle and I talked and sat around and went, you know, it'd be a lot easier if we just threw in the towel, if we just walked away. And it would be, it'd be a heck of a lot easier, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. But we love you guys. We love you more than we could ever, ever express. And we could never turn our back on what the Lord is doing here. We can never turn our back on what the Lord wants to do through each and every one of you. We can never turn our back on the way that the Lord has moved in this community and the way that he has moved upon the community around us, through us. We can never turn our back on what the Lord wants to do here. And every day we become stronger and stronger in our role as a congregation and what the Lord has planned, every day our worship gets more united. Every day our prayer lives get more united. Every day our study of the word gets more united. Every day our ministry to the outside world gets more united. And I desire nothing more than for each and every one of us to experience the reality of what it feels like when we allow the Spirit of God to be that thread and needle that seamlessly brings us together. So that when the enemy does attack, it's more like a game of Red uh, Red Rover, Red Rover than it is a game of of, uh, Jenga. That as the enemy attacks, our arms are unbroken. The grip just gets tighter and he continues to ricochet off. Rather than every time the enemy attacks, he hits one of the weak blocks, the whole tower drops over. Guys, the reality of what God can and wants to do through each of us and through this congregation far surpasses anything we could ever imagine. And in spite of how tormentuous the last few months have been, and look, every time we, every time we get a message from one of you guys asking for prayer, our immediate thought is, really another one that's being attacked. Another one that's getting torn to shreds. And we fall on our face. When we send you a message back and say we're praying, we aren't joking, people. And I pray that each and every one of you are exactly the same way when those messages come across the realm. Because these attacks are going to keep coming. And I don't know about you, but I'm not willing to walk away and watch things go down in flames. I want to see the might and power of God move. I want to see lives transformed. I want to see people changed because of the presence of the spirit of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in this place. I want to see lives come to know salvation because of the light of Messiah here. It was prophesied that we were going to be a lighthouse in this community, that people could find their way in. Our name, Maim Chaim, is Waters of Life because the Lord told us in this area, everybody knows how to get to the water. People live on it, play on it, work on it. But the Lord's placed us here to show people how to get to the waters of life that will never run dry. And I think it's more important now than ever before that as a community and as individuals in this community that we are continually taking not just sips but dives into that water of life. That we recognize the reality that His Ma'im Chaim, his waters of life, will quench our thirst. But we must stay in it continually, consistently, nonstop, so that we don't get thirsty again. So that we can continue to have something to pour out on those around us. Danielle and I love you guys. You know, this month is uh, is what's called Clergy Appreciation Month, Pastor Appreciation Month, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and, uh, and I know that in congregations all over the country, there are uh, all sorts of things happening throughout this month showing appreciation to the leadership of the congregation, and uh, I just want to let you guys know that we appreciate you. We love you guys. Each and every one of you are a part of our lives. I tell people, and, and, and some of you have heard me make that statement before, that I expect for each and every one of you to be more dedicated to this congregation than me, because I have nothing to be dedicated here for if it's not for you. If you're not here, I've got nothing to do. And I want you to know that you have our dedication. Some days may be hard for us. Some days may be tough. Some days you may walk in here on a Saturday and see a grimace on our face because we're in pain or whatever else. But we love you guys. We're here for you. And I believe wholeheartedly that the promises the Lord has spoken to this community and to each and every one of you is going to come to fruition. And I think it's time that we buckle our seatbelts and enjoy the ride. Recognize that sometimes this is more like a ride of bumper cars in the Audubon, but the Lord is in control. And we may not see how we as old people can become impregnated, but the Lord has a plan. And he wants to impregnate us in a very literal sense with his spirit so that we can be used by him to give birth to salvation in other people's lives. Give birth to a revival in other people's lives. Give birth to a change that will impact the world around us so that this kingdom that we're a part of, because the gospel says the kingdom of Messiah is here. It's not something we're waiting for in the future. It's here, people, and we're a part of it but so that this kingdom can gain more ground and more ground and more ground. And I want to see God's promise come true in each and every one of our lives and in this community. Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, we may not necessarily always understand all of the garbage going on around us and why. Father, we may not necessarily understand why things have to be so tough in our walk with you but father we do know that it's not tough because of you father we do know that you are faithful that you are caring that you are loving father we know that you have a burden to see not only us come to know the reality of your power and your presence but that others will come to know it through us Father, we know that your desire, as was spoken through Messiah's prayer in John, is that we be united in you. So Lord, I pray that you seamlessly weave us together as a congregation, that as new comes in, as the the congregation continues to grow, that those seamless uh, integrations will continue to develop. Father, that we will see your might and your power flow that we will see your promises come true and that we will see your salvation reign in this place. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray and everyone says, Amen.